This intro is an abstract act at long last. It's the That's A Rap podcast, the show where we, me and Matty P, wrap up the latest films that we've seen. I'm Joe Downey. And I'm Matthew Parkinson. AA, the date of recording today is the 13th of November and the time is 2.24pm. You, uh, for our latest updates, remember to follow our Instagram at TAW Podcast. That's TAW Podcast. If you've ever wanted to suggest films and to- topics for us to talk about, our DMs will be open over there and a plane's flying over us. You can check out our Facebook page if you type up That's A Rat Podcast or TAW Podcast and make sure to give us a like and share as it really helps out the show. When it comes to listening, we are available on all major DSPs such as Spotter, Fi, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Overcast and Apple Music. So make sure to give us a follow and download on those platforms and leave a review where available as it really helps out the show. If you guys would like to keep up to date with the latest films that we've seen both in and outside the podcast, you can check out our letterbox pages at Joe Film User and Clappy P. That is Joe Film User and Clappy P. The opening and closing jingles that you hear on the show are by Philip Buster, so please check out his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Philip Buster underscore official. That's Philip Buster underscore official. Ah! <laughs> you, you still got it. After all this time, you still have it. I'm very impressed. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. We we I, obviously you're reading from it, aren't you? You're, you're reading from it. Mm. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's it's really good. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's been four months, people. <laughs> Hello. Long time no see. We're back. Long time no hear. We're back. Um, doing our Halloween episode in November. So you know that's how we roll. Life life gets in the way. But thank you for being patient with us. Um, it's going to be a fun one. Um, and yeah, uh, how how are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm I'm doing very well. I'm ready to talk about some films with with my buddy Joe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. How are you doing? Um, what? Oh, I'm all right. So I'm just trying to think what we can update the people with. So it's. I mean, we had our graduation ceremony. Yes, we graduated finally so uh, after waiting a year and a half. You. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Um. I'm no longer in Bournemouth, so that's probably why there's been some gaps in between. I'm currently coming to you from Goldhanger, Essex, and Matthias is coming from Bournemouth. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's been a, it's been a while of some change, um, but we're gonna yeah we've got some good spooky films today. Before we get into those, are there just any films of note that you've seen recently that you'd like to give a shout out to or a mention to? Uh, well, so lately I, I need to go to the cinema more. So the last time I went to the cinema was to see Dune. Uh, that's obviously mm-hmm. out now. I saw that. I, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. And I'm looking forward to the, the next Dune film that's coming out. I won't give like a full review of it because it'll just take mm. up time. But no, I'd recommend it. Um, but I, it was kind of a new experience for me because I'd only, I haven't read the book Dune and I'd only experienced it through the David Lynch version, which I saw about mm. a little over a year ago. And that was awful. Obviously, that film was, you know, incomprehensible and hideous. And so watching this one was really refreshing. It was a nice little refreshing surprise. I learned a lot about the lore of the Dune universe, the Duneverse, mm. as you might call it. And uh, <laughs> the Duneverse. The Duneverse. I love that. Yeah. Um, no, I'd like it. And I'm planning to see uh, Last Night in Soho at some point soon. And um, cool. is it called Spencer, the new one as well? Yes, oh, yeah. I can't wait to see that. I'm looking forward to it. I found out the yeah, I found out the cinematographer is Claire Mathon from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So. Oh, nice. Very nice. And it's Johnny Greenwood it's doing just, the score, which is very good 
Yeah. And Pablo Lorraine. It just get, keeps and get, getting more and more stacked. Yeah, yeah. And Stephen Knight is a writer on it. Oh, shit. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just stacked. Wow. I'm so excited for it. Um, on my end, uh, not, not too many films this month that weren't for the podcast, uh, apart from, I don't really, it's not that good of a film, but I watched the documentary Still Screaming, the ultimate scary movie retrospective, which was more so just to get some more info on Scream. And it's not, it's on YouTube. It's, you know, if, if it's basically the equivalent of a special features featurette. Um, but I guess stuff of note of last month, uh, I saw a film called Mass at the London Film Festival. Um, and it stars Jason Isaacs and it's going to be coming to Sky Cinema at some point and it's brilliant. It's so good. It's, uh, it's about two families uh, meeting up together and one of them is the family of a school shooter and the other family is the one that's been killed. And it's about them talking about it and it's brilliant. Um, another one of note would be Malignant just because it's a very out there film. Um, I, that's all I'll say about it because you've got to <laughs> see it to believe it. I saw, yeah, I saw your review of Mass. It, I think I would like it as well, based on what you said. Mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing it at some point in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, well, it was like, funny enough, we were talking about Stephen Knight earlier. If you like stuff like Locke, where it's just like one location, yeah, um, yeah you'll love Mass. Um, I watched Grand Budapest on the train, just <laughs> casually. Uh, that was about it. <laughs> just, oh, we watched Halloween together on oh, yes. Halloween. We watched the film experience. Halloween together, yeah. Second yeah, time watching um, it for me. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, right. So, speaking of Halloween, what do you do on Halloween? You scream. That's our first film and that's our segue. Wow, what a segue, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> I've missed the segues so much. They've given me... Oh, Matt... Can I, so for audience members that um, may have known previously, so this wasn't meant to be a horror Halloween episode originally. It was meant to be um, the films Holy Motors and Undina. And I had a really bad, cheesy segue for Undina that I haven't let anyone know. And I'm going to, I'm going to say it to Matt now because we're most likely I'm not going to talk about Undina. Yeah, we're probably not going to, yeah. I'd like to talk about Holy Motors some point in the future, but um, Matt, can you name me the first two uh, meal groups of the day? Breakfast and lunch. Undina is the new film that we're going to be talking about. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't missed all it's of so the seg- I haven't missed all of the segues. Some of them I can do without. <laughs> Did that segue Undina. make you want to scream? So our new film of the day is Scream. <laughs> And uh, Google's synopsis says, a year after Sydney's mum is murdered, more murders start to occur. She begins to suspect if these murders are related and tries to find the killer as everyone seems to be a suspect. Quite a boring synopsis. Um, How would you summarise this film, Matt? Uh, So the one I had was, uh, whilst coping with the one-year anniversary of her mother being murdered, a young high school student is confronted with the danger of a masked serial killer on the loose that not only puts her cons- yeah, not only puts her in constant danger, but also eventually causes a rift in the somewhat dwindling relationship she has with her boyfriend. Ooh, it's very, Ooh. It's very spooky. <laughs> What's, do you have um, one? Or do... no? I'm That's sorry. okay. That's all right. <laughs> I in my head I was like, I'll I'll do the Google synopsis and then we'll see if it's accurate or not. And then I just didn't. I did the Joe thing of not communicating it to you. So you <laughs> I, know, I we're just, a well-old like, machine. 
Like, no, I just assumed to write them anyway because I know, like, we're a few episodes. We're like Thank you. twenty-five episodes in now. I, I know it's. Uh, I know it's a thing to do. Uh, but yeah, yeah Scream. Um, of the three films yeah. we're talking about today, this is probably the most famous. Like, it's a cult classic, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's. Um, you know, it's garnered quite the reputation over the years, hasn't yeah. it? Wouldn't, wouldn't you say? I'd still say it's like it's. It's a cult classic, in, but it's still a fairly mainstream film in that. Oh, like, of course, yeah. Because like when you say a cult classic to me, I'm thinking of like I don't know, not Donnie Darko, but like you know something that's like yeah, it's like, like a group of people. But yeah, this one is still thoroughly embedded within the holiday of Halloween. I know we're we're past that now, but like it's a film to watch around that season, I think. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely the most famous film that we're talking about today, and it's uh, it's directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson, uh, under the original uh, name, which was Scary Movie. It was meant to be called Scary Movie, oh. um, and then it got changed to Scream. Um, I think one of the reasons why we chose this film today is I've I've written it down in my notes that me and Matt seem to be on different ends <laughs> of this film in in terms of enjoyment. Uh, Matt, do you want to start first on that? Yeah, so um, this is actually my second time watching this film. So um, Mm. I first watched it for the first time last year because during Halloween, during October last year, I tried to do like a binge watch of all these different classic horror films that I hadn't seen before. And it was embarrassing because I haven't... There are a lot of horror films that are like classics that are, you know, sort of seminal horror films that I hadn't seen up until then. So Halloween was one... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead, and Scream was one of them. And I watched Scream, and I I thought it was okay. Like, I think, like, watching it recently and watching it a year ago, my views on it haven't changed so much. So much? So month? I can't speak. (laughs) So month. So month. Um, They haven't changed so much. I think my, my opinions have mostly stayed the same. I think it's, like, a competently made horror film. I think the horror action scenes are pretty well crafted, and I think... Uh, some of the characters in it are quite endearing. I think the main character, the young, the high school student, is quite endearing. You know, I th- feel like her struggle is quite realistic. The because whole- her whole thing is that um, her boyfriend wants to have sex with her, and she doesn't. She's not quite ready for it yet, and it's like the classic horror trope of you know ah uh, right the final girl the trope. the final yeah. the fi- yeah sorry the final girl trope is what it's called yeah. And, uh, yeah, a a lot of people seem to be really impressed by this film as, like, calling it a subversive horror film. I'm not sure if I'm in that crowd. I think it's an okay horror film, but I also think that my main issue was with it was that I think it's a little bit smug in the way that it tries to subvert other horror films. Because I I get the impression that it's not really... Because the way it subverts throughout its narrative is it will have a character say something like, oh, this is like that scene in this horror film where there's a girl alone in the house and she's on her own and she's in danger. And then the film will also do that. And it it feels like the film thinks it's smart for for sort of pointing out the tropes and then kind of unironically using them without altering them in any kind of way. And I just found it a little I, bit I, sort of cheeky, smug, wink, wink, kind of irritating. This, uh, <laughs> there's so much for me to... I'm trying to take this all in. I'm trying, like, do I rebuttal this bit? Do I rebuttal... There's so many things you've said. I'm like... Uh, <laughs> but, but it's... it's go on, it's, go on. Yeah. Interrupt me. No, but... It, but, but, but <laughs> 
<laughs> I like how earlier, before we did the call, I was like, oh yeah, because there's a delay in Discord, let's just try and wait for each other to speak and then just interrupt Matt. <laughs> no, I want to hear guys. what, what you think. It's, I'm more just trying to, I'm trying to take them all in so that I can yeah. remember them and then get back to them. But the funny thing is there will be stuff that I just don't know how to rebuttal. And that's, fair. that's the main thing with Scream in that I've got such an affinity for this film and I'm not entirely sure why. And I think a lot of it is down to, I think a lot of it is down to just uh, personal nostalgia with it or whatever. Um, in regards of horror films in general, the, like Scream and Halloween are the two bigger ones in the slasher genre, but they're also just, they're just my two, probably two of my favorite films in general and Halloween films. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think g g growing up with it is probably, like, why it stuck with me so much and probably why, for a lot of people, it was so subversive at the time. Whereas now, you know, you could argue Deadpool's kind of ruined meta films. <laughs> um, so so when you see anything meta, it's just like, ugh. <laughs> that might be part of the reason. Like, there, there is, like I said, a smugness to not just this film, but the kind of meta trope in general if it's done right. if it's done poorly if it's done of like oh mm. if it's just a character overtly stating a trope used in a genre and then yeah. using that trope i find it kind of tedious it's like i don't know what i loved about something like knives out is that it subverts the whodunit genre but it doesn't do it by having benoit blanc just like say, talking this is about like Miro an Agatha Christie. or something yeah, yeah. it's like have yeah. a five minute <laughs> conversation where it's like oh this is reminds me of this agatha christie book where and just i don't know i just i don't find it as endearing as other people seem to find it and i think so there's mm. a line of dialogue I, I try not to spoil the film because there are spoilers and twists in the film and i don't want to spoil it for those who potentially haven't seen it but there is a line of dialogue that comes uh, at some point in the film where they they're talking about motives of serial killers right. in films. And they, there's a line which is like, oh, motives? You don't need motives. Norman Bates didn't have a motive. Hannibal Lecter right. didn't have a motive. Yeah. And I kind of took yeah. that as the film saying to me, like, haha, I bet you're looking at these, I bet you're looking at Psycho and Silence of the Lambs with a new perspective now. And I was just like, not really. I'm just thinking you don't understand why Psycho and Silence of the Lambs work <laughs> so well. Because, like, yeah, maybe the villains in that don't have a tightly written motive, but, you know, they're introduced early on and we can enjoy them as villains. It's not just, like, a right. cop-out of, like, oh, it's revealed that he's the villain at the end. Blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, it, it's... Yeah. It, it actually, like, you get the build-up and you, you get to enjoy that sense of atmosphere and tension with them being villains. Even if they don't have a motive, you can still you have time to enjoy them as villains and it doesn't feel like a cop-out move sure. or a last-minute reveal. And also just yeah. the performances in those films, obviously, are great. Like, I, I like Matthew Lillard. I think he's wonderful. <laughs> I was about... I'm sorry, I love the performances in <laughs> yeah, this film. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, Matthew Lillard is, like, clearly giving it his absolute all and you can tell he had a blast making this. Um, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, there is a certain energy that he has that you can't not like on some level i think right it's just yeah. so balls I'd, to the wall I, yeah i <laughs> i just i i just had in my notes is written down like matthew lillard yeah absolute live wire it's great um 
it, there a lot of them were apparently given free reign to improv towards the end. Oh yeah, towards the end of the film, and you'll you'll see why when you get to it. But <laughs> it's just I love his on screen persona in this film. Like it's just it's just mad. This the, like there's one point where like literally he's just spitting every other sentence, and it's like this wasn't needed. It probably wasn't written down, and it's just he's just doing crazy things. He's just on off his nut essentially. Also, uh, yeah, not not. In an acting way, uh, but yeah. <laughs> and also, what, uh, another thing I really like about this film, uh, this is just the thing for me, I, I really think that Courtney Cox and David Arquette are really cute together oh, in the it. film. I it's, just, like, re- it's, I, I, yeah. yeah. Regardless of her character, because you know, she's not, you know, she's a bit kind of the... But just them mm. together, I don't know, it just, I really liked it. I thought it was really nice, they had yeah. really great chemistry. It was, I, I liked it a lot. And I take it yeah. you did well, as well. In regards to what you were saying about um, people finding bits endearing, uh, Dewey is such an endearing character. Yeah. And such a lovable character. Because he's just this innocent cop that doesn't know what he's doing. (laughs) I think, yeah, him him and the main character, was her name's Sydney, I think. Sydney. Sydney, yeah. I think him and her are like the two... I, I was most endeared towards they're them. They're like the soul the, of the film. Yeah, they're the soul of the film, I think. Everyone yeah. else... Because this kind of goes into a, another thing I have. So I think the reason why I don't have as strong an affinity towards this film as other people, one, maybe it's because of nostalgia, but also when I watched it for the first time, like I said, I watched it in succession with a lot of other horror films. Right. And I noticed a lot of similarities and I get the, right. the sense that this film thought it was being, like, sort of, you know, out of the box and interesting. And it's like, no, you've still got the horny teenagers. You've still got the kind of, like, the same vibe of, like, oh, they're slowly being killed off. The villain is, right. the murderer is lurking in the corner somewhere. It's like, we're hitting all the same beats. J- just because someone mm. mentions Psycho doesn't mean it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's it's an interesting one because I feel like yeah if you're watching other horror films in 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 tandem is that the phrase in I'm tandem like, yeah with, with yeah with with uh, with the others then you, it's any issues you have with that genre are going to be made apparent with Scream because Scream is commenting on the genre so it's like I don't it's like the I'm going to talk about Deadpool again it's the whole <laughs> issue with Deadpool where if a character goes. Now that's just bad writing. It's the issue of does it get away with that or does it not? In, in my mind, <laughs> um, it absolutely does not. I think it's the biggest no, cop out. I don't feel like Scream does that as much. Maybe not as much. I think Deadpool does it a lot more obnoxiously and frequently. But I don't no. know. There was just enough of it in Scream, particularly near the end of Scream, because I I realized sure. that uh, you're gonna hate me for saying this, but like I was really just counting down the minutes. Throughout the, from the last like, no, twenty five minutes of Scream, I, I was literally like, "Okay, I'm ready for it to end now." Yeah. I, I don't like this where this is going, but like overall, I think it's fine. I I didn't find right. it overly scary as a film. I'm not sure if that's the point. If it's meant oh, to be me more neither. of a yeah, because yeah. I remember. I H- think yeah. luckily that's why I like it. I think yeah. uh, for me growing up, so uh, there's I had a mate of mine that was obsessed with horror films, and I really didn't like horror films as a kid. And uh, he'd always put them on when I was hanging out with him. And, you know, I've, I've just got to try and suck it up and watch them. Um, <laughs> but I, the reason why I liked Scream so much 
was it was a lot of it's during the daytime. It's not. It's yes. not like all dark and spooky. I remember. And you, I love yes. date. Like yeah. I remember you praising so this. So this in yeah. midsummer, this in midsummer, do this thing where they just fit into a thing I've made up called daytime horror, and I love it. And I wish there was more of it because it's quite a hard thing to do, which is scare people while all the lights are on. And I'm saying, I know I'm saying that I I liked it because I didn't find it that scary as a kid, but I think the thriller elements still work during those during those set pieces and I I I just thought it was it's just something that isn't talked about as much or isn't shown as much in horror films for me anyway from what I've seen. Yeah. Uh literally the only ones I can think of is Scream and Midsummer where it's all a lot of it's during the daytime. Um but yeah, uh other annoying things I well not maybe not annoying things but I I things I realized as uh that's probably my bias with this film is that, so I studied it, studied it in college and we had to write a slasher film and I basically just ripped this film off. <laughs> I remember just, uh, I, I wrote this character that was like always like talking about Hitchcock and stuff and it's like, oh, it's just Randy from Scream. <laughs> it's just like, it's that character. I remember doing the whole bit where everyone leaves the school and a principal gets killed. And I'm like, oh wait, this is just Scream. <laughs> I love that. I've just ripped it off. <laughs> That's like every but, um, film student's journey, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> but um, on rewatch, I realise this film has quite a small scope. It's fairly just like instant at the house, the end. It is. Like, I noticed not... that as well. Yeah, like the entire sort yeah. of second and third act take place at the house. Well, not third, mm. second and third. Maybe like the last half sure. of the film take place at this one yeah. location. Yeah, it's... It's an mm. odd one. Yeah. But I think what makes it feel not so small is that uh, they managed to build such a good, like, lore and mythos about Sidney Prescott's mother and who killed her and just the whole character of Sidney and her relationship with Courtney Cox's character, Gail Weathers, I believe. Yeah. Um, there's just, like... It's just a lot of good world-building for characters that we wouldn't know at the time. They're not like these super established people like this uh i mean the biggest stars were drew barrymore who's in the beginning of the film and then courtney cox because this is her first film outside of friends i believe could be wrong but for major role uh, yeah yeah because i mean she was doing it whilst friends was still going i guess so right yeah yeah right. probably, you're probably uh, right. but all the others like they weren't they weren't known talent um a lot the poster of the film is drew barrymore that's her face. Everyone went into it, similar to Psycho with Janet Lee, thinking it's, uh, you know, that she's the yeah. lead of the film and then bang, we get new protagonists. Yeah. I think that's a good nod. In, I guess, yeah. like, I know the film does a lot of nods, but yeah. that I think is its best nod. Uh, ones, like, I, I find it's this film good. iconic. I love it. I'm super biased with it. But the bits that I agree with you in terms of smugness, there's, there's just one line I hate where... Uh, I've forgotten the actress's name, uh, but she she's Sydney's friend, and she's uh, Ghostface, the killer, is um, stalking her, and she's like, "That's a rap buster," and it's like, "Okay, we've yes, we've, I didn't like that either." Surprise, surprise. We've, we've going back we've to gone the... on this so many times. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the celebrity side of it, and like famous people in it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other big star who was in it, the guy who plays the principal, is Henry Winkler. Who was Fonzie? The Fonz. The Fonz, <laughs> the Fonz in Happy Days. That was the other mm. one. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I don't think anyone big 
was in this yeah. film. To my not Wes like Craven not. makes a little cameo in it, but <laughs> oh, is that as the janitor? Yeah. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was fun. And, I, I like that. Uh, L- Linda Blair. The, uh, yeah, the person from The Exorcist. Who yeah. played, who, See, that's that's good meta humor. The little cameo with the janitor. Mm. That's good meta mm. humor because it's not in your face and it's not fucking. It's smug. Mm. <laughs> it's not, you know. So if you had to give like a like a like a parent telling off its kid trying to get it to do better <laughs> type thing, what would you say to Scream in regards to its meta humor? I would say, I don't know. If you really want to subvert the shot, there subvert the horror genre, find a more sort of creative way to do it that kind of goes deeper into how the sort of structure and perspective of how horror works and try and twist it like that. Don't just talk about... Don't just have your characters mention horror films throughout the narrative and then also follow the tropes of that narrative because it's kind of... It has the appearance of being smart but not actually being smart. (laughs) Some (laughs) interesting parenting. That's what I... Sorry. (laughs) Go to school, I would say. That's fine. Go back to school. Eat your vegetables. Um, Quick little preface for anyone listening to my audio. I'm really sorry, but there's a lot of background noise I can't control. So for some reason, the church bells are off today. They're going off. Um, and if you hear any whirring, I, I'm going to try my best to noise reduce it. I'm sorry. Is, is that a segue um, into our next film? Oh, no, it wasn't. It generally wasn't. But how I'm interested to see how you'd segue that. But <laughs> oh, um. Can I qu- just quickly just... Uh, uh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Oh, no. Oh no! <laughs> I find Scream iconic. That's the long and short of it. Yeah. Um, I I I've forgotten what else I could comment on it with. Fair enough. Um, well, okay, right. So we're we're talking about its smugness, right? Uh, and saying, oh, you know, if you want to do meta humor, do this instead of that. Regardless, we can't really talk because it did do a lot for it. Did re refresh the slasher genre through doing all of this. So whilst issues we have with the film now it may not work for us ultimately in the long run it did so like maybe sometimes you you just have to outwardly say something you're commenting on so like the the cheesy like that's a rap lines or, or like oh this is like friday the 13th like some i guess sometimes that has to happen in order for new things to occur but then oddly enough with scream it kind of started eating itself with the sequels. Yeah. And I, if any issues you have with the first one, I have tenfold with Scream 2, where I think it does it way too much. I, in I've seen 2. like a clip from Scream 2 and I kind of get the idea of, of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, weirdly enough, uh, we'll, we'll just wrap, wrap this up, yeah. but um, I, I'm on... I'm like apprehensive about this new one, Scream Five, because it just it looks like it's got no humor in whatsoever. Yeah, and that's all. That's all I'm going to say because I love Scream as a horror comedy. Like it works as both, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, what would, what are your final thoughts for Scream? Should people watch it? Should people buy it as a Christmas present? Uh, yeah, no, I'd I'd say definitely go and watch it. I don't hate it at all, and I think it's worth watching. As like you said, a contextual horror piece. It's definitely an interesting case mm. study. And also, like I said at the beginning, I, I still think it's a competently made film. You know, the horror sequences are well made. I think there's a good amount of levity. And some of the characters mm. are quite endearing. And, you know, any flaws I might have with it about its smugness and its self-proclaimed intelligence that it, I don't think it has, I would still recommend it 
to people to see. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> but no Christmas presents. <laughs> Not for anyone I know. Okay. Um, I loved that wrap-up. So that's our segue for our new film, which is our next film, which is The Love Witch. Uh, so Google says... Elaine, played by Samantha Robinson, a beautiful young witch, is determined to find a man to love her. In her gothic Victorian apartment, she makes spells and potions, then picks up men and seduces them. However, her spells work too well, and she ends up with a string of hapless victims. When she at last meets the man of her dreams, her desperation to be loved drives her to the brink of insanity and murder. I think she was kind of already on the brink of that anyway, but sure. Uh, Matt, what, what, did, what, what, what you got? Uh, my synopsis is kind of similar, but just a bit shorter. Um, in, <laughs> Love it. In, <laughs> in 1960s California, a young witch moves into a new neighbourhood where she concocts potions and performs spells in order to get men to love her. However, these spells often work too well, which causes her to spiral <laughs> into a moral descent as she confronts the consequences of her means for acquiring male affection. Did you read the synopsis as you were writing your own? Maybe. I, I read, like, a paragraph from <laughs> Wikipedia, I think. It's been, like, a month since oh, okay. I've seen this. I had to refresh. <laughs> it's okay. Um, my, my first note with this film is I've just put attention to detail the movie. Yeah. This was, yeah. That, I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, is, do, is, do you want to go first? Yeah. yeah go, go for it. Go. But do, do you know what I mean by that? In that yeah, it's Absolutely. Like, so, this film came out in 2016. Yes. It looks like something that's shot in 1960s or the 70s. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's directed, set design, costume design, edited by, written by Annabella. Um, and you can see that a lot has been put in towards the film's aesthetic. Um, w- w- how was that experience for you watching it, not knowing the year... And stuff yeah, I was I was honestly really taken aback because everything you just said. Um, so when I, I, I you recommended this film to me, I think, or you you mentioned it to me as like a horror film that was available to watch on movie, and I thought, oh, I've, mm. I've never heard of this, so I'll, I'll go and check it out. And I didn't look it up at all. I went in blind, and I watched it, and I got about halfway through, and I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I think it was either after watching it or during watching it, I googled it and I realised this. it came out in 2016. And I was honestly really mm. surprised because I, I genuinely thought this was a film made in the 1960s. Like, it's not just a film that's kind of imitating a, a, a 60s film. It just, it does just feel visually and audibly like yeah. a film that came out in the 1960s. Like you said, from the cinematography the sound design even the dialogue and the performances have the, this sort the of, acting yeah, yeah this level of like campiness you'd see in sort of a 1960s horror b movie and it's it's because mm. it, it put me in mind of something like uh I, I know suspiria came out in the 70s but it kind of it put me in mind of a few similarities with that because it has these very like rich red colors that you'd see in these kind of mm. films and this like eerie sort of sound design that was like a little bit kind of worn out as if it's from yeah. a film from that era. It's, it's really just impressive how, how well it manages to imitate films from that period. I, I, yeah, I was really taken yeah. aback. And it just shows a really great understanding and passion for films of that time to imitate it so well, I think. Right. Yeah. So, like, I had this on my movie watch list for ages, and then it was recently promoted as, like, a um, uh, 
female filmmakers in horror piece like that they curated. So like this and Prevenge and some other films were in that uh, spotlight. Um, watching it now though, for the first time, it's not really a horror film. It's adjacent to it. But what's really odd is that Fright Fest present the film as it opens up. Um, and what uh, what's really odd with The Love Witch is a lot of the reasons to why I wanted to watch it were for, you know, I had heard that it, it uh, replicates the 60s and 70s really well. And only now am I finding out that Annabella was like, no, that's not the intention. I didn't intend on it being this campy film or any Like, it, she doesn't consider it a camp film. She said she wrote a modern film. Uh, and, and she said that the performances only uh, seem like that because she takes inspiration from uh, plays. And I'm just... I'm really at odds with it because, obviously, it's the filmmaker's intention that, you know... Uh, I can't be like n- no, but I'm also like no. <laughs> yeah, it, it surprises it's not me. Not true. It, it really surprises me that she said that because clearly she's done such a good job at creating this specific feel, and then just to denounce that yeah. is 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 quite an interesting step forward. Like it, it, yeah, I'm I'm not really sure what to say about that. Um, Do yeah. you mean where it's like I know you know. The, the author of the thing is has it's their piece but at the end of the day it's also how we interpret it and it's fairly easy to interpret it as this pastiche campy film yeah it's interesting so yeah. when a filmmaker's like no what what do you do <laughs> <laughs> i suppose so she said she wrote a modern film is what you said yeah she she considers that in a way i kind of see what she means because from Yes, from an aesthetic point of view and from a performative point of view, it does feel very dated, which I guess is the quote intention, but not really, apparently. Mm. But uh, from like a thematic and contextual point of view, it, it, is, it does feel kind of multifaceted and modern. Because I think like, so mm. the core character study, so the, the main character is under a really interesting delusion, I think, which is that they, they see love as something that needs to be acquired by any means necessary. That's why she concocts all these spells and these potions to get men to fall for her. So she sees love as something to be taken forcefully and not something that is achieved gradually through compassion and through care, like what love actually is. And I think that's kind of an interesting delusion for a character to be under. And I'm not sure if something in, in this particular genre would have been explored like that back then. Um, Right. I don't know. And yeah, I think yeah. from a feminist point of view, it seems to be quite multifaceted as well, because on the one hand, I felt like, yes, you do get a sense of catharsis from her sort of luring these men, you know, and performing spells on her because at, like at the beginning of the film, she lures this man who thinks he's seducing her, but actually it's the other way around. She's right, seducing right. him and making him fall for her. And uh, I wrote mm. this in my notes as a very witty line of dialogue which I liked a lot which is um so they have sex and afterwards the man is like writhing and complaining and he says oh all the attractive women I like aren't very clever and all the clever women uh, don't arouse me and she says to him oh that seems like quite the problem in like this sort of faux sort of sympathetic way yeah. and I just found that really funny yeah. and it's like a really sort of yeah. progressive 
line of uh, like dialogue exchange. I really liked it. And so, yeah, in that mm. sense, yeah, the film does favour her to begin with. But then, as you said in your synopsis or the Google synopsis, the film does kind of yeah. unravel and she has to face the consequences for her very drastic actions to acquire male affection. So in that sense, it kind of points I, I out... Don't, yeah. Yeah? No, go on. What? Uh, so I, I was about... I, I don't mm. think she feels so guilty about it. She doesn't. It's very but, odd in that. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, sorry. You sorry, sorry um, no, you're right. She doesn't feel guilty by the end of the film, but the film, the char- the other character she encounters do call her out for it, I think, which means that I think the film in right. general does have this kind of two-sided way of looking at things. It's not... The film isn't in favour of her all the time. Even if she doesn't realise her wrongdoings by the end of the film, other characters within the film do. So there's kind of an awareness, if you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess is. So would you say it's one of those films where everyone else has an arc around the character except for the main character? Um, in a way, I guess. Like, I guess some of the... I, I don't know about arcs, but... You know, maybe it is arcs, actually. But. I don't feel like she changes at she all. She doesn't change at all, no. Not really. She doesn't she, learn anything. She just kind of continues what she's doing. She gets... <laughs> like, like I said, she gets challenged occasionally by those around mm. her, but it doesn't really culminate in anything, I think. And this is kind of... Right. I think one of one of the issues I had with the film, that although it does explore these interesting questions about what is the nature of love, how do you require it, and the sort of multifaceted look at feminism, I do feel like once the film... It, the film makes the, all those points quite early-ish on, I think, and then it kind of, right. like, treads water for the rest of the film. Like I felt like the film was maybe a bit too long. I don't know. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and I noticed a lot of people online I, think that as well. A lot of the reviews are saying, this is too, too long. long, this is too long. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's, the film's, like, two-hour runtime, and you really feel it towards the end. Yeah. Because it is just her getting these string of hapless victims. Yeah, it's repeating um, a lot of the same beats, I think, which are yeah, good to start yeah. off with. They make for an interesting character study, but then they're just kind of, they, they do it again and again. Mm. And again. <laughs> so I saw, I saw an interesting thing. So um, uh, screenwriter, comedian, podcaster, but also very famous letterbox user, Demi Adedribe, said that he wasn't sure which parts of this film were satirical and which parts were earnest. I kind of agree with him. Because, like, there's moments where, so uh, Elaine will sit down with her, uh, her new neighbour and she'll, like, outwardly be like, you have to give men what they want. And it seems like, oh, that's satirical, taking the mick uh, of, you know, her uh, point of view at the time. And then there's times where it's like, oh, no, the film just seems to fully support this character. And it, it, I, don't, I don't know how to make heads or tails of it, really. Because I do like films where uh, char- some characters don't have an arc and the characters around them do. But with this, I just, you know, you end up just not... Towards the end, you just like not you, you don't get along with Elaine because you're just like you're just killing people. Let's just uh, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know I, I mean? think like, it, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think for the most part, I was able to identify which parts are satire, which parts aren't, and it it seemed to be mostly, if not satire, some kind of commentary at least. But I just okay. You know, maybe a little bit of a repetitive commentary. I guess is my thing. Like mm. it didn't feel like it had enough kind of forward momentum going yeah. towards the end. 
And what's interesting is, like, before you've made these points about her uh, talking about her, like, obsession with love and wanting to find love, before hearing that, I could very much make the case that this film is completely style over sub substance, but that might be purely because the film is uh, put so much emphasis on its style in that, you know, the director's made the costumes. It's a very colourful film. Um, I don't know, like... What do you I, I think, think in regards to the style v substance argument, basically? I th I think the style outweighs the substance, uh, especially mm. like yeah. towards the second half of the film when the substance kind of burns out. But I I do think oh, the substance yeah. I do think the substance is ultimately there, and I I don't think it's maybe style over substance is the wrong way of saying it, but kind of like style overtakes substance in a way because the style sure. is yeah. consistently good throughout the film but the substance kind of gets going quite well at the beginning but then kind of runs out i guess in my opinion mm. to towards the latter half of the film yeah so i think it is there but um, yeah it's it gets overshadowed yeah. so whilst annabella has said that she is intended to make a modern film and wasn't inspired by uh camp films she not saying these films I'm about to mention are camp, but she said the films were inspired by... The, this film was inspired by Jacques Demy, who did Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and uh, inspired, it was also inspired by Hitchcock, which I'm assuming she means stuff like Vertigo in terms of its colour. Now, if you're inspired by those films, don't be surprised yeah. when people don't think the film is modern. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's such I, an I, odd one. I can definitely... Yeah, I can see a bit of vertigo in there, I guess, with the use of colour. It's very mm. vibrant, very striking. Um, mm. Yeah, I can see that. I, I didn't know that. I, I've done very little research on this film. I'm kind of... Because I didn't want to look into it too much because I wanted... Because I know you sure. sent me a video of Mark Commode reviewing it, didn't you? And I, I consciously haven't seen it yet. I'll watch it after the episode's done, but I didn't want to risk sort of regurgitating yeah. thoughts that weren't my own because no, I had a lot to say about it and I didn't want to, like, muddle it in with other stuff like right. I, I i will definitely watch it though because i i love mark commode and um i, I think i'm sure it's a... my thoughts on it today are purely more a reaction to it because i'm basically yeah for people listening i i matt basically saw my live reaction to this video where i was like wait what the filmmaker didn't intend it to be camp <laughs> i was just so <laughs> yeah. surprised i i don't even know if i necessarily have a full-on opinion about it yet because it's so fresh i literally watched the film not too long ago but like I think what is sticking with me a lot is the whole, like, as an artist, once you're out there, once your art is out there, it's not, you, you can't do anything with it. It's, you know, it's for the audience to, it's theirs. Mm. And yet this filmmaker is struggling with that. Um, and I just find that so interesting because, like, like, her argument in that it's a modern film, it's not campy and all this other stuff, it, it can hold water... But at the end of the day, I'm just fighting back against it. I just, I can't help but be like, no, that's not the case. But yeah. it's her film, so she would know it's the case. But like, I, I can't help but be like, no, it's a camp film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I have such a like, confusion about that. Or why I'm so like, perturbed. But like, yeah, no, I, do you know I, what I mean? I understand. Like, I, would, I would be With this film in particular, like yeah. there are other films, like for instance, you know, with uh, The Fly... Uh, David Cronenberg did not intend on that being a uh, comment on the AIDS crisis, yet 
you could easily be like, yes, it is. It, it can work like that. And, but you don't, you don't have a pushback against David Cronenberg saying that wasn't the case because he didn't mean it. But with, with this, it just seems so obviously camp. In, so I, I can't help but be like, mm. how? How, how have you said that this isn't the, the case? Like, unless it's just a happy accident, but that would be, you know, minimizing someone's efforts. I don't, like, I don't want to do that. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's just an odd experience for me, really, is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, I mean, because a lot of the campiness, I guess, comes from the performances. So maybe it was certain performances the act, that the actors gave that maybe weren't exactly what she wanted, but were still... Right. The actors still did, so maybe it's on mm. them partly but um i'm not sure no. I'd, I'd love to check out an interview with her at some point because again i've done yeah because because i very i know that she research. says that she's she 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 doesn't think the performances are wooden or stilted but she like she's saying if that is the case it's probably because i took inspiration from plays but i don't yeah i can't make heads or tails of it um mm. one thing i will ask though because it's kind of the the main question with the last two films of today but do you really consider this a horror film? Um, this is an interesting question about the, like what we consider horror films because I was I was thinking about this recently, and how there's a weird mm. sort of catch twenty two with the horror genre, and I've noticed this when speaking to my parents about horror films, that whenever it, it seems to me that whenever a horror film does something slightly different or subversive. People are like, oh, it's it's not quite a horror film then. Because I, I guess something like Get Out, I would consider a horror mm. film, but a lot of people wouldn't consider it a horror film, apparently. I mean, what, what would you say? Do you... I mean, similar to Scream, I think Get Out is a horror comedy, but with a lot more horror in. Like, yeah. Uh, it's leaning toward horror more than comedy, obviously, but there's comedic elements in it. Yeah. But with these last two films they just seem more adjacent to horror and not horror. And yet they're still ad- advertised as such. Like, you've, like I said, Fright Fest presents the film. Um, so I'm just, it's more of a thriller. It's just like, but then again, I know that genres, you know, they're wide and, you know, Rear Window could be a horror, you know, you could argue that. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's particular with these last two. And maybe it's because they're, they're not hitting 100% the horror stereotype in that, Scream is a full-on slashers, knives, you know, masks and all this other stuff. Mm. Maybe it's just not hitting the iconography for me. But that, that's fair. With these ones, I don't know. It's just, it just, they just seem more on the thriller side. Yeah, and I guess it's easier yeah. to put it in that box because I, I feel like thriller is a wider, broader genre than horror. I don't know. I feel like right. when I think of horror genre, I associate it with more specificities in terms of, like you said, iconography and pacing and you know mm. what how the characters react in certain situations whereas thriller seems a lot more broad i feel like I'd, i'm not entirely right. sure how to get into it now but um mm. yeah uh mm. would i consider the love witcher horror um sure <laughs> i'm so sorry if you can hear these church bells by the way they have not stopped i can't hear anything i can't hear anything just your voice okay okay good, good to know if you do hear them, I don't know, I guess it fits into our, our next film. But um, yeah, just quick, quick wrap up for people. If, if they're trying to get into thrillers and horrors or just trying to challenge, chat, see more 
challenging films what what do you recommend do you would you recommend the love witch like how would you go absolutely about i would rec- i would absolutely recommend this film i think it is a triumph in uh recreating a very specific type of horror film uh from a very specific era and a very specific budget um you know i would watch it for that and i think it does suggest quite an interesting set of themes and character studies that maybe don't persist throughout the entire film but it's still you know leave an impression with you whilst watching it so i think yes i would recommend this film okay go for now it. the awkward thing for me is that um you froze during the majority of that so i was oh, picking no. up different bits of it <laughs> but i know that it's going to pick it up on the audio very well so i'm going to assume you said a good thing and listen to matty p folks He's i said i boy. hate it I said I hate it. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm joking. no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, yeah, The Love Witch is a very out there film. It's, it's such a great use of style and uh, colour and costume. And also, if, if you think, I don't know, if you like Lana Del Rey and Marina in the Diamonds, I feel like it'd be their dream film. So check it out. Um, it's on Mubi currently. Um, the reason why I talk about Church Bells uh, is... Our next film, which is The Innocence, that's probably my worst segue. I was trying to make a whole theme of churches and there's churches in the film. It's all right. Like, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't feel guilty about it. Instead, <laughs> feel innocent. No, I will take it to my grave, Matty P. <laughs> no, hey, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, oh, it's so good. <laughs> I didn't even know you were doing it. It was so seamless. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was great. Brilliant. Um, do you want to hear? Do you want to hear Google's Google and Wikipedia's weird synopsis for this? Sure. Um, it just says The Innocence is a 1961 <laughs> psychological horror film directed and produced by Jack Clayton and starring Deborah Kerr, Michael Redgrave, and Megs Jenkins. So I've I've copied and pasted the letterbox one under it. Uh, in that it says a young governess for two children becomes convinced that the house and the grounds are haunted. Wow. What about you, Maddie P? What, uh, what my, you get? My, my synopsis is uh, The Innocence <laughs> is a 1961 psychological horror. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, I'm my, my, synop- my, my synopsis is uh, In Victorian England, a young woman applies for the role of a governess for a wealthy man who seeks to have her take on the role of permanent care- carer for his estranged niece and nephew living in his large country estate. She accepts the role, but soon mm. discovers that child- the children are being taken hold of by a supernatural entity. So, my first note with this, I've just put in all caps. Looks great. Yeah. You know, it's from 1961. I watched it on YouTube and the black and white cinematography is amazing. Like, it still looks so good. I also watched it on um, YouTube. Yeah. yeah. If you want a free film to watch on YouTube, folks, this is your one. This and A Separation and Funny Games. Those are my go-to films that are readily available on YouTube. <laughs> um, so this is an odd one because for, for this, this film, The Innocence, all of a sudden just blew up on my letterbox. Everyone I knew was watching it, both like mutuals and just randomers. And I was like, what is this film? I'd never heard of it. And then you and, you and Adam had watched it. And I was like, what? How? Um, and I will, I will get into this point very quickly, I swear. 
But um, I had an experience a while back uh, where I watched a film called The Front Page by Billy Wilder. Watched it. Then uh, a year later, watched His Girl Friday. Uh, and as, as I was watching His Girl Friday, I was like, I've seen this before. What is going on? Only to find out that, of course, the front page was an adaptation of His Girl Friday. I'm watching The Innocents, and I'm going, oh, I recognise these beats before. Um, and then I realise it's an adaptation of Turning of the Screw, which I hadn't seen, but there's been multiple versions of. There's a new film out recently just called The Turning with uh, Mackenzie Davis and Finn Wolfhard and all this. So it's a very, very popular story. Um, what drew you to this story, Matt? Uh, so or this film in, in general? I watched it, similar to you, because uh, I saw that Adam, our previous guest on mm. here, Adam Beale, big, big up. up. Big up. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, he logged it on Letterboxd and he gave it a very high rating. I think it was like four, four and a half stars or something. And mm. so I thought, mm. oh, I, I will watch this. I will go in blind. Because also Adam described it as a hidden gem, I think, because okay. we, we spoke about it afterwards. And uh, no, so mm. I thought I'd go into it blind, give it a watch, see what all the fuss was about. And yeah, no, I liked it. I thought it was, um, so it was what I have here is that I thought it was like a pretty solid, like sort of, it's sort of in that genre of like maybe not terrifying or like suspenseful, but very cold. I think it's a very sort of mm. cold feeling horror film, and it reminded me of something like Rebecca in that you have the sort of atmosphere of this very large country estate house that the film takes place in that's very sort of old, very mysterious, and it creates this kind of uneasy atmosphere throughout. And I think that was done very well. And uh, a couple of other things mm. I really liked about this film, I think so. The actress who plays the governess is uh, Deborah Carr, I think, very famous actress De- from yeah. 1950s. I don't know if it's Carr or Carr, but yeah. I asked Adam. Good old Debs. I, th- I think Adam told me it was Carr. Um, yeah, oh, okay. I think so. It's Deborah Carr. And the, I thought her performance was great. Obviously, she's a very established actor. And um, the actor who played the little boy, I really liked, uh, Martin Stevens. I know you weren't a big fan, but I thought his performance was really good. I really liked it. I... Matt, Matt, can you explain what's just <laughs> happened visually, but, but through audio? Joe just looks at me with dead eyes and shook his head. <laughs> <laughs> As if to say, Matt, I'm going to kill you for liking this, this boy that I want to kick in the no, head. No, you, no, no, you, you, you can. You, I, <laughs> you're allowed to like this performance. but um, uh, Tell me why you don't like it. Uh, well, no, if anything, <laughs> it's high props to this child actor because right. he made me want... I, I put, for this film, as just uh, as a note, I put, the film has not a lot going for it besides me wanting to football kick the kids 10 yards. Um, and it's because these kids are just so dis- unlikable, but in the best way it's intended. Like, the, the, you're not... It's not bad performances. They're great performances in that you hate them. Yeah. Um, Especially this 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 main main kid. Um, also, Rebecca is also on YouTube. If you ever want another oh, is it classic oh, nice. to re- yeah, readily watch uh, online? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to. I the the kid the child performances are great in that you hate them. Like ah, oh, I just I despised them. I've, I don't think I hated them as strongly as you did, but I, I get where you're coming from because they are basically... Th- it's very creepy. They just are very creepy, creepy kids. And they're, but... they're just causing turmoil 
for this poor girl. Because, so Deborah Carr, who plays the governess, you're endeared towards her for pretty much the entire film because she's very, she's innocent. Uh And Mm. she's just very Mm. loving and nurturing and caring and she just wants what's best for these children and they're doing everything in their power to, to, to just make life difficult mess for her, with her. to mess with her <laughs> and it's not their fault as you know the film reveals later on um you know i think this film it, it's quite simple in a way i think so um yeah what one issue that i had with it was that i thought after the first like half an hour i kind of got where it was going like like i said yeah. in my synopsis the kids are possessed and you you, you obviously you figure out why they're possessed what's possessing them but it's not like I, it doesn't feel like a significant revelation of any kind. Like, again, in the, right. within the first half an hour, you can kind of see where the film's going, probably how it's going to end, yeah. what the revelation will be. And it kind of... I didn't feel like there were many surprises going into this. I think I, think yeah. I messaged you at one point being like, oh, it just ends. It just ends. I kind of like the ending, in a way, because although it's underwhelming, yeah, it, yeah. I, I think it's quite somber and... It, you know, quite sort of understated. Uh, it is kind of a very abrupt ending, you could say, and I, I was right. surprised when watching it that it kind of but, did but just then, end. Then again, then again, with that type of story, I don't know how far you can go. It's just, yeah. you know, kids are possessed, got to get them unpossessed. <laughs> the end. Like... I guess, yeah. I remember so when I spoke <laughs> to Adam about this, he, he pointed out to me another potential layer, another perspective of mm. looking at this film. Is because he thought the uh, the character study of Deborah Carr as the governess was quite interesting because he pointed out that you know she starts out the film intending to care for these children and that's her one goal she wants mm. to care for them she wants what's best for them yeah. but in the end that ends up hurting them so in a way you could argue mm. that it's you know she's caring too much in a way and there's the dichotomy right. between those two things and no Ad- Adam pointed that out to me and I think yeah that's that's an interesting yeah. uh, perspective for looking at the film. I can't say I necessarily I, yeah. felt that a lot on my first watch, but, you know, I re- reflecting I, on I, it. I feel bad that I can't... Yeah, I feel bad that I can't remember the name of the other character, but I really like the relationship between Deborah's character and the other carer. Oh, the... Uh, what's it? The, like, the maid... Miss woman. Gross. Miss Gross. Miss Gross. I th- yes. I think um, that's right. Because yeah. I... So, I don't know why. It was just... Even though it's quite an old film, it was very refreshing to see... A relationship between the two where they're of different um, status. Like, I think it's implied that Miss Gross is quite working class and then uh, Deborah's character... I'm just going to call her Deborah because I don't know if it's Kerr or Carr. It's going to drive me crazy. Debbie. Um, <laughs> good old Debs. Um, <laughs> it's implied that, you know, De- Deborah's of, I guess, higher wealth or whatever. But they don't... Deborah doesn't judge. They have an equal relationship. They're not yeah. like, absolute dicks to each other. There's a moment where... Uh, Deborah goes to show her uh, Miss Gross a letter and Miss Gross feels embarrassed so she's like oh I'm really sorry I can't read and she didn't judge her for that at all and I, I was like I really like that I, in these types of films you'd have you know you'd have the main character be really judgmental towards them or make a comment on it uh, and all this other stuff but no they have a really good chemistry and friendship there's no judgment I felt and I, it was just really nice for me I don't know how to explain it it's probably a little detail in the film that I'm reading too much into, but I, for some reason, I was just like, oh, that's re- I really like that. Um, but 
Yeah, what do you think about that? No, I have just to, their relationship. I have to say, it's not something I picked up on uh, when I first watched it. But uh, now that you mention it, it is, you know, it is a nice little dynamic that they have. Because um, mm. I feel yeah. like films at that time would be really problematic about it. And just, or just I don't know. You know, there's a lot of films that just don't age well in terms of how they depict like uh, the sort of the class system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. absolutely. I, I think it is. It's nice. Is a good way of saying it, isn't mm. it? It's sort of and good spirited in that yeah. sense. And for this period of film filmmaking, um, quite effective spooks. It's not a su- I wouldn't consider it that much of a horror film. I consider it more gothic than a horror film. But there's some really creepy things in this that are shot really well. I have this. And, yeah, I have some notes on this yeah. as well. <laughs> um, no, no, please, please. Yeah, no, there, there were. I think two shots in the film in particular that creeped me out. And one was mm. without revealing too much about the film. There's a scene where a figure glides towards the window, which I thought was really just mm. bone chilling. And I liked that a lot. And there's one yeah. where they're in the garden and there's this figure just sitting in the distance and they're kind of just a little bit out of focus yeah. to the point where you can't quite make out who they are or what they are. And it's implied, cause I think it's what only one character can see Right, who it is, and it's. Uh, I just found yeah. that really creepy because it's like, mm. you know, it's not quite the subject of the shot, but you can see it, and it's just it's there. And it's like you're not sure but, what uh, to yeah. think of it. It's really good. It's really well done. Also, just like it, it's just how murky it looks. Like I love, I just love. Like obviously, it would have had to have been in black and white, but I think it's weirdly enough, all the posters for this film are in color. They shouldn't be. <laughs> I, also, on a side note, I don't like the posters for this film. A lot, the, the, some of the busiest posters I've seen. But like, um, it, I just love the look of the film, uh, probably more so than the actual film itself or like the plot or whatever, which yeah. is an interesting thing because a lot of the times I'm not super married to plot. I, I can watch a film just for quote unquote vibes or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, I... I don't know, like... It is a good-looking film, the innocence, yeah. yeah. with The Innocence and the Love Witch, I did watch in a semi-tired haze, I will give... I will, I will say that. But with The Innocence, <laughs> it's kind of... You kind of should watch it in a tired haze. It's watch it in the dark. It's a very, you know... It, it's not a midnight film, but, like, it, it... I think it. if you're leading up to Halloween, it's a bit late now, but, you know, if you listen to us later on in life... Um, if it's a, it's just a good uh, teaser into like classic horror, I assume, or just horror in general, um, because I don't know. Where I'm going with this point, but do you know, I mean, it, it it's just a good starter film. Um, yeah, it's a it's solid, very creepy. Yeah, yeah. If you like your gothic stuff, this come to this film. Come to this film. Don't do <laughs> Go that. Go watch this film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like. At the end of the day, not a lot sticks with me for it. Um, I don't know a lot about Turning of the Screw to comment on adaptation differences or anything like that. Um, from what we have seen, why do you think this story has been adapted so much? I honestly didn't know that it had been adapted this much. Uh, this is the first oh, time right. hearing of it. Um, I guess if I had to just guess on the spot, it's... Um, I guess, like I said to begin with, it's a very simple story and there's a lot right. of different directions you can go with it. It's, you know, possessed children in a, like you said, in a gothic right. environment. You can, you know, there's, I guess, different places you could go with that and it's a good sort sure. of groundwork 
for a creepy mm. horror. Like, it's a good way of establishing an atmospheric and creepy environment that you can then build upon in different ways, I guess. Like, yeah. that's just off the top of my head. I, I honestly didn't know that there were other adaptations of this material. Um, it's the first I'm hearing of it. That's right. Um, There's, there was one line of dialogue in this film uh, that I thought was mm-hmm. kind of cheesy, there's a there's a scene where Deborah Carr says something along the lines of like, oh, we have to protect the children, the innocents, I think. And I kind of <laughs> rolled my eyes at that. I don't Do you remember mm. that? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That was <laughs> just a little tangent. Like, it's very yeah. much a, ah, oh, the title. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, supposedly, Deborah, good old Deborah, uh, regard, has always regarded this as her finest performance. Really? So there's that. Um, I haven't seen her in anything else to comment. She was quite... That there's... Um, well, hold on. Uh, let me find something. Uh, and, she's... I, and also, whilst you're doing that, uh, Truman Capote uh, did a rewrite on this film, famously. Really? Yeah. It says here that he took a... Bl- uh, good old IMDb. Uh, it says here that it, uh, he took a break from writing in Cold Blood in order to rewrite the screenplay for this film. I did not know that. That's mm. very interesting. But no, I was just uh, trying to look up more information about uh, Deborah Carr. And um, I know she was quite... She was one of those actresses, I think, who got lots of Oscar nominations, but only, like, one or two Oscar wins throughout her whole career. She was, like, you know, sort of Geraldine Page or uh, Peter O'Toole or something like that. And right. there's a good YouTube mm-hmm. channel that I watch, that Adam watches as well, called Be Kind Rewind which is a channel oh, yeah. devoted to uh, looking at women in cinema, basically. So there'll be whole videos on, like, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, Vivian Lee, people like that. And there's one about Deborah Carr. So if you want to find out more about her, check it out, because it's a very good YouTube channel. I, got, I found two interesting bits of trivia, right? Go on. Uh, one in that Harold Pinter and John Mortimer also worked on the screenplay. The former advised Jack Clayton, the director, that he should not use flashbacks, and the latter was brought in to, quote-unquote, Victorianise the script. Hmm. Um, and then uh, second bit of trivia is that Joe Dante cites this as his favourite horror film. So even though I don't consider it a horror film, <laughs> Joe Dante, I'm assuming that is Joe Dante of Gremlins fame, uh, cites it as a horror film. I'm going to double check now so I don't make a tit of myself. <laughs> yes, it is. It I, is I, Joe I would, Dante of Gremlins and Small Soldiers. I would absolutely call it a horror film, for sure. Um, you know, even... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I, I would, it's not like a slasher film. It's a much kind of more right. slow and understated yeah. horror film. I like to yeah. preface, I don't think all horror films are slasher films. I'm just... I'm, with this one, it just did... Uh, I don't know. It, 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 there's horror elements for me with this one. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that uh, all films, all horror films have to be a slash film. I'm, I, that was just, Scream is just a very extreme uh, version of that. Of course. Whereas yeah. these two are of different subgenres within horror, but I don't know. I mean, I, I guess gothic is a part of, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> At the end of the day, but it's all semantics, I, <laughs> isn't it? It's all semantics. It is, yeah, it is, yeah, and it's subjective. Um, yeah, I, you know, there are horror films that I don't find scary, and yet they're still horror films for me. So it's like yeah. it's not even a case of, oh, I don't find it scary, therefore it's not a horror film. Um, I don't know. 
I did just when I was watching it, I was like, ah, oh, this is like a gothic thriller. But yeah, I don't know. I need to further an- analyze that and understand what that is. Um, I guess as a as a wrap up, what is your relationship with horror in general? Because I know you did this recent binge, uh, or like just a binge of it, and then how has that experience of getting into horror films helped you with uh, watching The Innocents? Um, so I've discovered that I think a lot of horror films that a lot of people call classics are films that I struggled to get into slash didn't really find that scary or suspenseful or interesting. Um, and I, I don't know how watching those helped me with watching The Innocents, I guess, but, um, <laughs> I don't really know. Um, ah. Would you say you prefer, but like, so as in like, you're saying you don't really like the, the tropes and conventions of stuff like Scream or like uh, Evil Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street and stuff like that. Would you say you prefer horror films that lean towards stuff like The Love Witch and The Innocence where it's more uh, wide? I like horror films that sort of explore something a little bit further or have, you know, characters that are endearing and watchable or... You know, because like one horror film that I saw recently, which I really, really liked a lot, was The Invisible Man. And I like mm, that. I, I like I that, that a lot because not only was it just a, like a really well-crafted horror in that it was actually scary. It was very atmospheric. It had suspense. But it was also one it had really great characters that were very endearing. But it was also a wider commentary on like gaslighting and abusive relationships so I like horror films that kind of do that, that have actual drama and characters and stakes rather than just a series of sort of cheap tropes and sort of gimmicks, I guess you could call them. And I'm not saying that any one of the films you just mentioned in particular have just gimmicks, but, you know, I've noticed it in some horror films. So, yeah, I like it when they sort of go the extra mile to be, to be something more, I guess. And does The Innocence do that for you? In a way, uh, like like I said, it has good characters. I think I think uh, Deborah Carr's character is very endearing, and I felt warm towards her. But again, like I said, the plot is very simple, and you know, I, like I said before, I kind of got the sense of it after the first half hour. But uh, the look of the film and the atmosphere of it, and this sort of coldness that the film has, mm. made it, you know, good enough to to watch throughout and, you know, to keep me interested until the end. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you in that. It's, it's great for atmosphere. Yeah. But yeah. Um, my personal opinion. Yes. Just great visually. Uh, watch it in the murky night. In the murky um, night. In the murky night. Um, and that's all, really all I have to say with The Innocence. I don't Is there any other comments? I've gone through all really my notes. You, I've gone through all my notes yeah. with it. Um, this has been a fun one. Uh, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, I mean, I there's there's stuff that I'm like I do not know what I'm talking about, and I need to research more into. <laughs> but like, I w- we don't talk about a lot of horror films on this podcast in general. We ha- I don't think we have the the closest ones have been stuff that's more leaning towards it. So like the the lighthouse and Boxes Omen and stuff like that. So to actually like cover three films that address a kind of 
gamut of the genre has just been really nice. Um, and I'd, I'd like to continue doing that. So if, you, if any of you guys have any suggestions or just comments on this episode in general, let us know. Our Instagram uh, and Facebook is open to message. I'd like to hear what Ollie Walton Harrod has to say about this episode because I know he's a big horror fan. And Adam as well, because, uh, you know, if it wasn't for Adam logging The, the Innocence, I think that was the first log I here. saw. And then, yeah, I saw, yeah. <laughs> then I saw Jim Cummings, then I saw a lot of people from the 70mm pocket. Literally, it was just blowing up everywhere, Matt. And it was just like, oh my God. Adam, <laughs> you have... I'd, yeah, I'd love to hear what... Yeah. If it weren't for Adam, we wouldn't have we... an episode. <laughs> yeah. Brown, brown, brown. Big up. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Scream is available to rent on different platforms. The Love Witch is available on Mubi, and The Innocence is free and readily available on YouTube. Um, You can get it on Criterion. It opens up with the Criterion logo. I don't know how much restoration was involved there, but it still looks very nice on YouTube. Um, That's all I really have to say. Um, I'm glad we're back, and I'm very... (laughs) Yeah, thank you guys for being patient with us. at, at this moment in time, uh, the Ma section of the previous episode is still having issues, but we are working to update that as soon as possible because there is a really interesting discussion about camp cinema in that, and it kind of relays itself back to this one with uh, this episode as well. So stay tuned. We, we're working on it. Um, and just thank you guys in general. Um, so yeah, sorry we haven't been... Uh, as consistent as of late it's just you know sadly life gets in the way and yeah we can't always upload but yeah uh, well, if you got anything to say matt because uh, yeah i'm we'll, gonna we'll, like start singing a song or something we will we will persevere you know we will we, we will keep <laughs> <sounds> so morbid. <laughs> we will keep trying <laughs> uh yeah no thank you to all of our our loyal listeners who have who have stayed with us this yeah. long we we appreciate all the listeners we can get. Thank you so much for staying tuned and staying cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a rap. rap. Oh, oh, two raps. Burrito. Let's <laughs> talk recording. Why can't I stop recording? Why can't I stop recording? Why wouldn't it let me press stop? Oh, fuck. Shut up.